Welcome in to the Mason Talks Sports Show. Today I want to talk about an array of different things from the Cleveland Cavaliers to the NBA draft to a you know a ton of different stuff. But first, I thought it would make sense to do a sort of mid-season assessment for the Cleveland Browns. It seems like it's about that time, at least to me, Obviously, we are in early November. The Cleveland Browns currently are on their bye week. It's week nine. We're right in the middle of the season. The trade deadline in the NFL just passed. It was on Tuesday. Obviously, the Cleveland Browns didn't really do anything. Neither did any other team. But it just seems to me as though it is a good time to give an honest assessment about the 2020 Cleveland Browns. Now, I want to talk about what has happened in the early portions of the season. I want to talk about what we should expect in the latter portions of the Cleveland Browns season. And I also want to talk about some things that have happened that I have liked as well as other things that have happened that have not necessarily been as pleasant to me as a Cleveland Browns fan, but let's obviously look at what they have done so far in the season. So, so far in this 2020 season, the Cleveland Browns have won five games and they have lost three. Now, obviously they uh, beat the Bengals twice. They beat the Dallas Cowboys, they beat the Indianapolis Colts, and they beat one other team that now is slipping my mind. But, you know, five and three, things are looking, you know, pretty good. Winning record, something that the Browns have not done in a a long, long time. And, you know, obviously, oh, Washington was the other team that they beat. I was looking that up. The Browns have beaten the Bengals twice the Colts, the Cowboys, and the Washington football team. So 5-3, and three, winning record, something that the Browns have not done in a long time. 2014 was the last time they had a winning record. From that perspective, I think things are looking pretty good. Now, obviously, when you look back at the losses that the Browns suffered, you had the you know blowout, shutout, complete and utter embarrassment against the Ravens in Week 1. It wasn't a shutout, but it was a beatdown. You had the beatdown against Pittsburgh, which was awful, and then you had the game where the Las Vegas Raiders held you to six points and not a single touchdown, which in itself also was pretty darn embarrassing. And really, I think you just kind of have to point to the fact that there's been good and there's been bad. And, you know, when the good was good, it was really good, and when the bad was bad, it was really bad. The Browns have really been a boomer bust team. Now that I'm thinking about it and, you know, quite frankly, I think that might be a good thing for the Browns seeing as we end up playing a lot of really bad teams to close out uh, the season. Now, looking at individual stats, Baker Mayfield obviously has 1500 passing yards, seven picks, which is not necessarily great. It's not as awful as he has been in his career. 15 touchdown passes. When you look at rushing, Kareem Hunt leads the team simply due to the injury to Nick Chubb. Uh, Kareem Hunt has 529 yards, which I believe still is fifth 
Overall in the National Football League, three rushing touchdowns. Nick Chubb leads the club with four. Statistically speaking, the Browns offense has been really good. And that's one of the things that I'm going to point to that I like. The Browns offense has basically been what we were hoping it was going to be. Kevin Stefanski has done a great job putting this offense together Uh, building an offense basically around the strength of your team, which is the running game based on Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. But what he's also done, which has been wildly impressive, is I think, at least from my perspective, he has made an offensive system that has been kind and has been friendly to Baker Mayfield. And that's very important. Because if you can't have an offensive system within which your quarterback can operate, then what are you doing as a professional football coach. So I've liked the offense, and specifically, I've liked Kareem Hunt. I feel as though Kareem Hunt has been very good. He's obviously stepped up. I've liked Nick Chubb when healthy. He has been, you know, one of the best running backs in the league. And then in terms of receivers, obviously, you know, right now Jarvis Landry is our leading receiver uh, with 419 yards receiving. But when you talk about wide receivers, it's going to start to get confusing down this latter stretch of the season, especially with Odell Beckham Jr. not playing anymore, which is going to either be really good or really bad. We're going to have to just wait and see. But Odell Beckham currently, uh, you know, had three touchdowns on the season. The leader in touchdown receptions for the Cleveland Browns is Kareem Hunt with four. So I've liked the offense. And then obviously I'm going to have to point to uh, the defense being something that I have not liked because our defense has been uh, very bad. The defense has been basically as bad as it possibly could have been. Obviously, you know, I don't have to stay. I I don't have to state it too clearly. You know, Denzel Ward's been very good. Uh, Miles Garrett's been very good. Miles Garrett currently has nine sacks on the season. The uh, second person on this team in sacks I believe is Sheldon Richardson with four and a half sacks Olivier Vernon's got three and a half sacks uh you know a couple of or no he has two sacks Sheldon Richardson has two and a half sacks I'm looking at the wrong statistic but you know Olivier Vernon has two sacks and the reason why that's important is because those two sacks came in this last game against Las Vegas the dude who is supposed to be the you know the, the the Browns' best pass rusher next to Miles Garrett, dude didn't have any sacks until this last game against Las Vegas, which was horribly embarrassing. You know, when you look at what the Browns have done, I think it's been basically what we were expecting. When the offense was healthy, which has not necessarily been a ton of the games this season, they looked like an elite NFL offense. They looked like an NFL offense that could win enough games to make it to the playoffs. I don't think it's crazy to say that. But obviously they have been dealing with injuries. The Nick Chubb injury was a gigantic blow. The Wyatt Teller injury. Wyatt Teller, for a brief moment in time, was the best right guard in the National Football League. The Wyatt Teller injury has been a big blow. Austin Hooper's injury for these past two games, it has been an issue. It has been a big blow to the offense. But if they're able to get back and get healthy as we exit this 
bye week, which will finish up, uh, you know, we have this week off and the next week we play Houston. If the Browns can come out of this bye week healthy, I don't think it's crazy to assume the offense will get back to that really sort of elite level. So that's basically what I have thought. I think that Baker Mayfield has been fine. I think he needs to improve in the second half of the season. Nobody's going to deny that. Andrew Barry didn't even deny that. I mean, you know, the the media came out pressing Andrew Barry, asking him about, you know, well, what's what are you going to do? How do you feel about Baker Mayfield? What do you think Baker's the the quarterback of the future? Like Andrew Barry was going to come out in this press conference in front of the world and say, yeah, we 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 might want to move on from Baker. No, of course he's going to dance around the question. Andrew Barry said what I have said and what I think the Cleveland Browns truly do feel. They are going to give him this second half of the season to continue to grow, to continue to get better. I don't think Baker's been great. I also don't think he's been awful. I mean, 15 touchdown passes, seven interceptions, those are modest numbers. And obviously, it has helped the Cleveland Browns win games. And I do still think that we have been seeing flashes from Baker Mayfield that would point to him potentially being your franchise quarterback. I mean, you know, the five touchdown game against Cincinnati. I know that Cincinnati has a bad defense. I know that they necessarily aren't the best team in the world, but the dude threw five touchdown passes. He wasn't even missing after the interception early in the game. And he basically put the team on his back in a way that he had never done before and led them to a victory on a last second touchdown pass to Donovan Peoples-Jones. Baker Mayfield, I don't think you can, obviously, you don't want to neglect the fact that he has had his struggles in his time in the league, but I don't want to ignore the fact that he has also shown flashes of being immensely accurate and an ultra-competitive leader who can win football games at the professional level. That is what I have thought of the first half of the season. There's been boom and bust moments. The offense is obviously banged up right now, but when it's healthy, it is elite in the National Football League, and the defense has been bad. I also want to touch on the whole Odell Beckham Jr. conundrum, because Odell Beckham Jr. is out for the rest of the season with a torn ACL. And, you know, one thing that's really going to kind of not determine the Brown season, but one thing that is going to definitely, without a doubt, impact the season as we go forward is kind of how the Browns bounce back from that Odell Beckham injury. Because, you know, in that in that Bengals game when he went down early with the torn ACL, obviously the Browns bounced back pretty well. Baker was spreading the ball around. He was hitting receivers like Harrison Bryant. Obviously, Rashard Higgins had some catches. Donovan Peoples-Jones had the game-winning touchdown grab. But then when you come out against Las Vegas... Basically, nothing was really able to happen. And I know that that was kind of a crappy weather day. It was, you know, snowing, sleet, raining in Cleveland, all that type of stuff. But in the time that we've had without Odo Beckham Jr., in this season specifically, our sample size has been a game in which Baker Mayfield looked really, really good and a game in which Baker Mayfield didn't necessarily have a ton of help from his receivers. So I think that's definitely going to be something interesting to look at as we go forward in the rest of the season. What is Baker going to be getting from his receivers in this, you know, the next few weeks? 
Are they going to be able to step up in the absence of Odell Beckham? Or is the Odell Beckham injury going to prove to be a gigantic bummer that it ultimately ends up uh, costing the Browns some games? Because I don't think it is outside of the realm of possibility. All right. That is the first half of the season analysis. Now, looking at the rest of the season... We are going to be coming out of the bye week on November 15th to take on the Houston Texans. Houston currently only has one game or uh, one victory so far this year. Now, you know, I think that it's going to be really interesting to see what happens when Nick Chubb comes back because the Browns running game has not been as nearly as good as it was with Nick Chubb. But, you know, the Browns have still been able to creak out a couple of wins, even in the absence of uh, Nick Chubb. Obviously, they beat the Colts without Nick Chubb. They beat the Bengals again without Nick Chubb. But let's say, uh, I I don't want to rush him back. Let's say Nick Chubb comes back versus Philly. If the Browns are able to come out and beat Houston, which I definitely think they should be able to, I mean, we should not, We there's no reason why a Romeo Cornell team uh, should beat us. There, there's no reason, absolutely no reason why we should lose to a Romeo Cornell-led team. If you beat Houston, you go into Philly, uh, actually you go, in, you go into Cleveland against Philly with a 6-3 and three record. If Nick Chubb is back... I think the Browns can beat Philly. I think they can beat Jacksonville. I think they can beat the Tennessee Titans. Uh, I think they can beat the Giants and the Jets. So that would probably place you at, what, 11 and 5? If Nick Chubb comes back healthy, and if if Baker Mayfield is able to continue improving and playing efficient... Uh, games where he, you know, I, I I think a two touchdown per game average with no picks is something we should look for from Baker, which is what we were seeing early in the season. If you can do that, if Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt can stay healthy, if Miles Garrett can stay healthy, uh, with the with the easiness, with the soft schedule you have in the second half, <clears throat> playing teams like Jacksonville, who's tanking for Trevor, playing teams like the New York Giants in New York Jets, both of whom are absolute messes. Of franchises, I think you can go. I think you can go eleven and five. I, I really do. I don't think it's that far outside of the realm of possibility. And with the added playoff team and the potential of another playoff edition, the NFL is talking about as a contingency plan. Um, if they have to continue, you know, canceling games for the coronavirus, they're talking about putting an eighth playoff team per conference. I mean, that would be NBA level playoff teams. If you go eleven and five, you're going to make the NFL playoffs. You'll probably be a wild card team. You'll probably play somebody like the Kansas City Chiefs, but you'll be in the NFL playoffs. And that's really all you can ask for from this Cleveland Browns team in the first year of Kevin Stefanski, uh, you know, with Baker Mayfield as your quarterback. So if they stay the course, if they get healthy, which they will get healthy over the course of this bye week, I mean, I fully expect. Miles Garrett, Wyatt Teller, and Austin Hooper all to be back versus Houston. Possibly you could see Nick Chubb make a push to come back versus Houston. Doubtful. I doubt that would happen, but I don't think it's completely impossible. If you get healthy, stay the course. Browns can go 11-5. and I don't want to guarantee anything, but I do say 
that I, I, I would say I feel confident that 11 and 5 is absolutely in the cards. That is my Cleveland Browns wild card assessment. Now, I want to talk about the NBA draft because the NBA draft is coming up, and, you know, quite frankly, I am a NBA draft nerd. I love the NBA draft. I love the process of building teams and constructing rosters and you know I love the idea that you can draft the dude in the second round who ends up being a you know solid rotation piece for your playoff team like when you talk about guys like like Draymond Green back in the Warriors you know they draft the dude was a second round pick and he ended up helping them become a dynasty but I love the NBA draft and the Cavaliers have the fifth pick in this upcoming draft again I think I noted um the draft is November 18th and this season itself is supposed to start uh, December 22nd. At least that's what they are talking about. So that's pretty pretty exciting. And, uh, you know, it's coming up fast, the NBA draft. But Chris Fedor of Cleveland.com posted an article today talking about options, five options that he would like to see from the Cleveland Cavaliers in this upcoming draft. Five dudes that he would like to see them draft Spoiler alert, Obadiah Toppin is not one of the options. He does not he doesn't want Obi Toppin, and I understand that. Listen, Obi Toppin has turned a lot of people off due to the fact that he's what, 22 years old? And he can't play defense to save his life. That's okay. Alright. But I want to talk about some of these options because to be completely honest, I really do agree with uh Chris Fedor on this. Now these are his five best options, and we'll go over each of them in depth. Now, his first option uh, is a trade back. He thinks that the one of the best options for the Cavaliers is to trade back in the NBA draft in an attempt to acquire assets, obviously, and um, still possibly be able to get a decent player. And, you know, I don't think that that is anything too crazy because the fifth pick is a really awkward position to be in in this draft. I mean, if you look at the top talent in this draft, really the only guys that I would say you can feel confident about, and I'm talking legitimately confident about, are Anthony Edwards and James Wiseman. That's it. I know that there's a possibility of a guy like LaMelo Ball potentially going in the top three or even as a possible top pick in the draft, depending on who actually does make that pick. But I would say that the only dudes you can legitimately feel confident in are Anthony Edwards and James Wiseman. Those are the two guys who have all-star potential. And then I think there's a second tier that is home to players such as uh, Denny Avdia, who is a forward from Maccabi Tel Aviv. I think Killian Hayes, who is a point guard who some have compared to D'Angelo Russell, he probably also would be in that second tier as well as LaMelo Ball. And then there's this third tier. And this third tier is like the rest of the draft. <laughs> like, that's pretty much what this draft is. There's no, there, there's not a ton of players who you can feel confident about that you think could be all-stars or even that you think could be high-end starters. I mean, there's about four dudes in this draft who you can actually say would be high-end starters. That's about it. The rest are players that you are just hoping on. 
And I would say that the Cavaliers probably have the highest pick with which you're going to get one of those third-tier players. I mean, you know, the the Timberwolves have the first pick. They are probably going to get a, a all-star potential player. Golden State has number two. If Golden State picks there, they also will get a pretty good player. Uh, I think Charlotte has three, if I'm not mixing up my picks. Charlotte's going to get a decent starting-level player. Uh, Chicago has four. They're probably going to take either uh, Obadiah Top. I forgot to put Obi Top. Obi Toppin, I think, is probably in the second tier, by the way. Obi Toppin or Denny Avdia is going to go to Chicago. And then you come to the fifth pick, and it's like, okay, well, who are the Cavaliers going to take? The Cavaliers probably, I mean, we are, we've already heard that Killian Hayes <clears throat> doesn't necessarily want to come to Cleveland. You know, Tyrese Halliburton's not a guy who would really fit with the Cavaliers, what they're doing, because the Cavaliers have already drafted two point guards. You know, in 2018, they took Colin Sexton. In 2019, they took Darius Garland. The Cavs aren't going to come out and draft another point guard unless LaMelo Ball falls to him, because we know, okay, we don't know, but I feel like, and this is just an opinion, Kobe Altman is in love with LaMelo Ball. So what do the Cavaliers do? Do they take the best of the rest or do they trade down and try to acquire some assets? I definitely think trading down is something that they could do. I don't think it would be that crazy. If you move back in the draft a little bit, maybe pick up a future first round pick or maybe pick up a first round pick depending on who your partner is. We know the Celtics are trying to get up into the top five. The Cavaliers can theoretically trade back while still getting one of those third-tier players. And I think that, you know, a tradeback would still be able to net you somebody like Isaac Okoro, who is a defensive-minded small forward out of Auburn, who is a very good defender, and who would almost immediately be, probably would immediately be, the best wing defender on the Cavaliers roster. That's a spot where you could get a guy like Devin Vassell, who's another one of those kind of 3 and D type players. That's a spot that could potentially get you even Obi Toppin if Toppin starts to slide in the draft. Trading back is always a possibility, especially in this draft. I think that that is definitely something the Cavaliers are going to have to consider. So the second option that Chris Fedor puts in this article, which is a very good article, by the way, is Isaac Okoro, who I just mentioned from Auburn. Now, as Fedor lists, uh, as he notes in this uh, Isaac Okoro section, the Cavaliers are the worst defensive team in the NBA. And um, it's because they have terrible defensive players. And they keep bringing terrible defensive players in. Jetty Osmond's not a good defender. Darius Garland's not a good defender. Colin Sexton's not a good defender. Dylan Windler, once he finally gets on the court, probably ain't going to be a good defender. I mean, they just haven't been bringing good defenders in. And eventually, if you want to win in the NBA, you have to have players who can defend. Especially on the wing. And Isaac Okoro could instantly bring that to your team. He would instantly be the best wing defender on the Cavaliers. Now, the only concern that really comes with Okoro is that he doesn't really have the most consistent offensive game. He's been a decent finisher at the rim, but that's about all he offers. He's not a great shooter. He only shot 29% on threes and 65% from the foul line, and those are numbers that when you are a NBA scout 
are numbers that point to not only you being a bad three-point shooter at the college level, but that probably means that you also will be a bad three-point shooter at the NBA level as well. But I don't think that his scoring should necessarily turn the Cavs off because Isaac Okoro definitely would immediately fill a, a, a massive need of the Cavaliers, and that would be defense. The Cavaliers need to get wing defenders. Now, there have been some pretty interesting comparisons for Isaac Okoro, uh, and I think that really they are something that should have all Cavs fans' ears perked up a little bit. And a couple of those are Jimmy Butler. Some people think that he could be another Jimmy Butler. Some people think he could be Andre Iguodala. Some people think he could be Jalen Brown. I think that Isaac Okoro definitely should be somebody that the Cavaliers uh, should consider. The next dude listed is Onyeka Okongwu, who is a center from USC. This is another dude that I'm interested in simply because I think that, well, number one, he's a good defender. Obviously, he's a uh, very good rebounder, and I think that he could basically uh, be the sort of reincarnated version of Tristan Thompson. And I think that that's definitely something the Cavs uh, should take a look at. Next duty lists is Devin Vassell from Florida State. Devin Vassell is a very good uh, small forward, six foot seven. He shot forty one percent from three, which was really good, really good uh, catch and shooter. He was really good, or uh, he was really good off the dribble, which is you know he was one of the better catch and shoot off the dribble guys uh, in college basketball, which is. Uh, pretty impressive and he's another you know defender wing player that the Cavaliers are you know desperate to possibly get and the last two guys that he lists are uh, Tyrese Halliburton who some people are gigantic fans of Tyrese Halliburton I haven't done enough research on him Uh, and Patrick Williams who is a forward from Florida State now the appeal of Patrick Williams is that he is an incredibly raw prospect. He was the youngest college player in this draft, so he's got a ton of upside. He could be a swing big. He's six foot eight. He could be, uh, you know, he could play small forward. He could play power forward. Uh, a lot of people are confident that he's eventually going to be able to be a good shooter as well. So that's another dude the Cavs could look at, uh, even in a trade down, Patrick Williams. Now, I have gone back and forth on my personal draft opinion about a thousand times I you know started out as a Denny Avdia fan and then I went to Isaac Okoro, Devin Vassell, James Wiseman back to Denny I was even Obi Toppin for a little bit right now where I stand on the Cavaliers in this draft specifically is that if the Cavaliers were to trade back with the New York Knicks who have the eighth pick and if the Cavaliers were able to get either Isaac Okoro or Devin Vassell, I'd be happy. I'd be thrilled. I think tradeback is going to be what the Cavaliers have to look at. Because there's not really somebody at that fifth pick who is really going to be a sort of impact, immediate you know, need filler for the Cavaliers. And I definitely think that's something they have to consider. And I definitely think they have to consider the fact that if you trade back, you could potentially add some really good assets and assets that could help you in the future. You could add, you know, future draft picks, young players, potentially, you know, if you trade back with the Knicks, maybe you could get Kevin Knox, 
which isn't necessarily the most attractive asset in the world, but at least it's something. Right now, I think that's where my feeling lies with the Cavaliers in this draft. If they trade down and bring in Isaac Okoro or Devin Vassell or even Patrick Williams, I'd be happy. Now, there is one player who could potentially slip to where the Cavaliers are at with the fifth pick, and I think it would be a really interesting discussion that Kobe Altman would have to consider. Uh, In recent weeks, we have heard about how LaMelo Ball has been terrible in pre-draft interviews. He has looked really bad uh, in terms of interviews with teams, and his draft stock could potentially be falling. And we could actually see LaMelo Ball slip to later in the draft than anybody would have expected. And I think that that would immediately bring up a really interesting discussion for the Cavaliers. If they're at the fifth pick, and if LaMelo Ball is still there, if LaMelo Ball is still available at the fifth pick, what do you do? Because we know that the Cavaliers definitely have had interest in LaMelo Ball. We know it. I know it. I know it for a fact. Kobe Altman was going across seas to watch and personally scout LaMelo Ball last year. Kobe Altman has had his eye on LaMelo Ball for months. And I think there's a reason for that. I think the Cavaliers are probably enticed not only by his size and his passing ability. You know, size and passing ability are two things that would really make him flexible in terms of lineup options. I mean, I really do think that you could play LaMelo Ball next to Darius Carland or Colin Sexton. I think that both of those would work. But I also think that the Cavaliers and Dan Gilbert specifically are probably enticed to the idea of LaMelo Ball because of the fact that he would bring some attention to the Cavaliers, something that they haven't really had in about uh, two years. I mean, LaMelo Ball would be the most popular player to play with the Cavs since LeBron James. I don't think anybody would be able to deny that. LaMelo Ball is a celebrity, and he would be a celebrity before even stepping foot on an NBA court. I think that the Cavaliers would definitely have to consider LaMelo Ball, especially since he probably is pretty high on Kobe Altman's draft board. But I also think... That if LaMelo Ball drops to the fifth pick, that brings up another option, which is almost even more intriguing for the Cavaliers, and that's another trade down. I mean, if LaMelo Ball slips to the fifth pick, that draft pick suddenly becomes way more valuable than if he's drafted before then. Because even though his draft stock is slipping, even though he hasn't necessarily been great in interviews... If LaMelo Ball falls to the fifth pick, and if the Cavaliers float that pick out on the market, there are going to be teams interested, specifically the New York Knicks. Because the New York Knicks want a superstar. And only the New York Knicks would look at LaMelo Ball and say, hey, that dude is our star. That's our superstar point guard of the future. I definitely think that it would be interesting to see what would happen if LaMelo Ball fell to to number five. I think the Cavaliers 
would definitely have to consider drafting him, but they would almost have to consider uh, harder <laughs> the, the prospect of of trading that pick away and bringing in possibly uh, a pretty decent haul for the fifth pick in the draft. Now, I do want to touch on another NBA story before briefly bouncing back to the National Football League. Uh, Zach Lowe of ESPN reported today that one player who teams have been interested in trading for is Larry Nance Jr. Now, this is a really uh, interesting article he did because he was basically just talking about the uh, sort of trade wins flying around the NBA because, you know, obviously people are talking about the Timberwolves possibly wanting to trade out of the first pick in the draft. People have been talking about Bradley Beal as a potential uh, trade piece with the Washington Wizards. People have been talking about uh, maybe C.J. McCollum of the Portland Trailblazers getting traded. People have been talking about trading C.J. McCollum for a long time. But he also noted that Larry Nance Jr.'s name has been heard in a lot of trade rumors around the league. Because Larry Nance Jr. is a good veteran player, he fills in in a lot of spots of, you know, he's got a lot of skills that he instantly brings to the court. And I thought it was interesting to, you know, possibly think about, well, what would you want in a Larry Nance Jr. trade? Would you want the Cavaliers to trade him? Because I know that instantly a lot of Cavaliers fans would likely say no. Because Larry Nance Jr. is a fan favorite simply because of his name, likeness, and hometown. I mean, the dude was born and raised in, what, Akron, Ohio. You know, his father, Larry Nance Sr., played for the team. They both have the same number, 22. You know, it's just a great story. You know, I have the bobblehead right here, Larry Nance Jr. and Larry Nance Sr. It's just a good story that you're able to look at with a little bit of positivity because your team sucks. (laughs) The Cavaliers are really bad, and it's nice to hold on to a little bit of positivity. This specific instance being, you know, having a guy in Larry Nance Jr. who at least has a little bit of history with the team. Larry Nance Jr. who actually enjoys being in the city of Cleveland playing for this team. But I think that if the Cavaliers are being smart, they absolutely have to consider trading him. I mean, if I was running the team right now, the only players who I would consider untouchable on the trade market would have to be Colin Sexton and Kevin Porter Jr. That's it. I'd be willing to trade anybody else. If you want to trade for Andre Drummond, call me up. If you want to trade for Kevin Love, call me up. If you want to trade for Darius Garland, Call me up. Just don't ask about Colin Sexton or Kevin Porter Jr. Those are the two players on this team who I feel like can be stars. Larry Nance Jr., I don't think he's going to be a star. And, you know, I definitely do think that he is a valuable asset to this team because he's a good locker room presence. He's never really had any sort of issues with any of our coaches, even though people hated John Beeline. Uh, you know, he's never been, uh, he's always been a good teammate. He really does contribute in a lot of different areas on the floor. He's a good passer. He's becoming a better three point shooter. Obviously he's a very athletic power forward. Uh, but the Cavaliers were even able to play him at small forward. 
during certain instances uh, in this past season. He's a good player, and obviously he's a valuable asset to the Cavaliers, but if somebody called you up and offered you a first-round pick as uh, as well as a young prospect, I think you'd have to at least think about it. I mean, one of the teams that has been mentioned uh, in the Larry Nance Jr. trade talks, potentially, was the Boston Celtics. And, you know, if the Boston Celtics, who have a plethora of draft picks uh, in this next upcoming draft, if the Celtics came up to you and offered you the 14th pick in the draft, as well as one of their young prospects, like let's just throw Romeo Langford out there, for instance, I think you'd have to consider it. I absolutely think you'd have to consider it. You, you know, the Celtics would be taking on Larry Nance Jr.'s salary, which would free you up a little bit in cap space. The, you know, you'd be bringing in another draft pick. You'd have the potential to, you know, get another <clears throat> young building block or even a, a starter level player uh, in this upcoming draft. I think you'd have to consider it. I know that a lot of Cavs fans <clears throat> probably would not want to trade Larry Nance Jr., But I think we have to take the wine and gold shaded glasses off, at least for a minute, and look at the prospects and see if there's something that could help out your team. You have to do it. And if Kobe Altman is a smart GM, he will do it. Because good GMs are willing to trade anybody, even fan favorites. I mean, I always look back to uh, what the Boston Celtics did a few years ago with Isaiah Thomas. I mean, Isaiah Thomas was a fan favorite. People loved him in Boston. He took their team to the Eastern Conference Finals. But then they were offered Kyrie Irving. And Danny Ainge is smart enough to know that Kyrie Irving is a far better player than Isaiah Thomas. So even though Isaiah Thomas had averaged 28 points per game, Even though Isaiah Thomas was a fan favorite in Boston, even though Isaiah Thomas won a lot of games with the Celtics, Danny Ainge had to take a hard look, uh, you know, at his roster and say, hey, Kyrie Irving's a better option for us. And he had to make that hard trade. And it hasn't worked out for either team. But at least he at least he had the gut to do it. If Kobe Altman wants to be a great GM in this league, if he wants to build the Cavaliers back to being a playoff team, he has to be willing to make the hard decisions. So I would not keep Larry Nance Jr. off the trade block. He definitely is not untouchable in my eyes. So I do want to bounce back to the NFL real quick. Uh, You know, there's been discussions about what Odell Beckham Jr.'s future is going to be. Because obviously, he's had a tumultuous time with the Cleveland Browns so far. And, you know, quite frankly, I do think it's a legitimate question to ask, well, is he going to be back next year? Is Odell Beckham going to be a member of this team in 2021? And I really think that there are a couple of things that are going to factor into it. Number one, I think you have to think about his health. I mean, Odell Beckham Jr. has been banged up for his entire career. He has never been healthy. And I think that Andrew Barry and Paul DePodesta will look at that and they'll say, hey, if he's not able to remain healthy, then we need to go out and get somebody who's more reliable. Because we're paying Odell Beckham Jr. a lot of money. He has one of the largest contracts on our team. If he's not able to stay healthy, then why are we paying him? that level of money 
I also think that something the Browns are going to have to factor into this is the Baker Mayfield conundrum. I mean, let's say Baker Mayfield finishes the rest of this season and wraps up the year with about 30 touchdowns and let's say like four or five more interceptions. So that would put Baker at 30 touchdowns on the year and about 12 interceptions. I mean, if Baker comes out in the second half of the season and looks good, if he's able to, you know, look like a more comfortable quarterback, if he works through his reads better, if he's still, you know, putting up touchdowns, putting up numbers, winning games, I think the Browns are going to have to look at that and say, what was going on with him and Odell Beckham Jr.? Was Odell Beckham actually holding him back? I think that's a real conversation the Browns are going to have to have because we do have a sample size in 2018 of Baker Mayfield looking like a really good, really efficient quarterback without Odo Beckham Jr. We also have the sample size of 2019 with Odo Beckham Jr. for a full season where Baker Mayfield looked really, really bad and threw 22 interceptions. I think the Baker Mayfield thing is a legitimate conversation you're going to have to have. I know we're talking about legitimate conversations a lot. (laughs) I know that's one of my little cliches I got to kind of shake. But I also think that one thing the Browns will have to take into consideration is what they see from their young wide receivers in, you know, these next few games. Because let's say Rashard Higgins comes out and actually does look good. If Rashard, you know, and he didn't look good against the Raiders. I'm not going to deny that. Rashard Higgins made no impact against the Las Vegas Raiders. But if Higgins comes out and looks good, and if Donovan Peoples-Jones comes out and continues to take strides, uh, which would obviously help him prove that he too could be a, you know, option for the future, then I think you'll have to look at that as well and say, hey, we have options that we can maybe look at to use to possibly move on from Odell Beckham Jr. I like OBJ. I love OBJ. And quite frankly, I think that the Browns are probably a better team when Odell Beckham Jr. is on the field. But I do think that you have to consider what happens in this next portion of the season without him. Because if Baker comes out and looks good, if the wide receivers, the young wide receivers come out and look good, and if the Browns are able to continue to win games, go 9-7, 10-6, 11-5, make the playoffs all without Odell Beckham Jr., then you are going to have to consider making a trade. Or you are going to have to consider cutting him from your roster. You are going to have to consider moving on. It's similar to what I just talked about with Kobe Altman and Danny Ainge in the NBA. If you want to be a great team, if you want to continue to win games in your profession, you have to be willing to make the hard decisions. And if moving on from Odell Beckham Jr. is something that has to happen, I know it's a tough decision, but it's a decision that Andrew Barry would have to make. Simple as that. It's something that he would have to do. And I know it would be tough, but... That's his job. Now, to wrap up the show, I want to talk about one more thing. And it was a report, again, in the NBA about the draft from Kevin O'Connor at the Ringer. Now, basically what Kevin O'Connor said was that uh, the Celtics have been aggressively trying to package 
their uh, three first-round picks in this draft. They have three, which is a lot, especially for a team (coughs) in Boston uh, who has multiple draft picks or uh, multiple young players on their roster already. They're trying to package those picks to move up to take on Yeka Okongwu, uh, the big man from USC. And I think that this is interesting for the Cavaliers for two reasons. Number one, you could have Onyeka Okongwu on the table, still on the board when you are up with the fifth pick. So the first thing that tells me is that the Cavaliers could possibly acquire multiple draft, draft first round draft picks in this draft from the Celtics in a potential trade down, which of course would be enticing because that would give the Cavaliers a lot more draft capital to work with and a lot more young prospects to possibly sort through in this next season. But what it also tells me is that Onyeka Okongwu should absolutely be a prospect that we are keeping our eyes on. Because if the Boston Celtics want Onyeka Okongwu, if Danny Ainge wants Onyeka Okongwu, then everybody in the NBA should want Onyeka Okongwu. That just means that he's going to be a decent player, at least a decent player at the NBA level. If the Boston Celtics are trying to trade up to draft Onyeka Okongwu, then I think the Cavaliers should try to draft him even harder. This has been the Mason Talk Sports Show. I want to thank you for tuning in. If you're listening on iTunes, make sure uh, to subscribe and you know give me a five-star rating if you so choose. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. I will see you in my next episode. Goodbye.